Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing, and it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are special and amazing and he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Hey friends, this is Kat Lee and today we're chatting with Sally Clarkson and we're going to be talking all about how to make our home a home, you know, a place that your family really wants to be, the place that they come home to and just take that deep breath and exhale, a place full of tradition and beauty and fun and all those things. And we're going to be talking with Sally Clarkson about that today. But first, I want to say a huge thank you to our show sponsor, Plan to Eat. Plan to Eat is an online menu planning site, and it makes recipe management, menu planning, and shopping list making super easy. I've been a paid user of theirs for years, and I absolutely love it because my favorite thing is that I can really easily make a menu plan for the week, and it takes like a few minutes, and it automatically creates and organizes my shopping list for me. Y'all, it is a thing of beauty. Uh, and Plan to Eat is offering a free 30-day trial for y'all. Just go to plantoeat.com forward slash inspire to action and give them a try. Okay, let's jump into our show today with Sally Clarkson. Hey, Sally, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm having a good day so far. How about you, Kat? I am having a good day. I'm in my office. My kids <laughs> call it my closet, which it also is. Um, with a, a, a few baseboards missing, my um, one of my children, who shall remain nameless, had an excessively fun time in the bathtub recently and did not notice water pouring over the edges. So we had several inches of water in our home and it flooded into my office. So I'm sitting here in my non-beautiful, non-perfect office, but it is still <laughs> lovely and cozy. And so I feel like it's the perfect environment for us to be doing this talk today. Oh, good. Uh, I got some stories for you. (laughs) Um, So before we get into the chat today, though, I'd love for anybody who may not be familiar with you to learn a little bit more about you. So can you just tell us a little bit about you and your family and what you do? Okay, I am uh, Sally Clarkson, and I have four adult children. Uh, Most of them are very artistic and write books or produce movies or write uh, compositions for orchestras, whatever they do. And we all need for them to marry a doctor, a lawyer, or (laughs) (laughs) a builder, (laughs) because none of us are very practical. But anyway, I I was uh, kind of cut my teeth when I was a young single woman on discipleship ministries in uh, communist Eastern Europe. And I fell in love with mentoring and scripture. And then when I got married and had my kids, I really fell in love with um, the idea of discipling my children and building godly people right here in my home. And I, uh, so I started a ministry. We've been doing mom's conferences. This is our 20th year. And you'll be speaking at one. Can't, can't wait to see you here in a couple of weeks. 
And um, so I write books. I do blogs on sallyclarkson.com. And I speak and mentor and love to help inspire women about how important their role is as a mom and as a woman of God. I love it. I remember when I read the first book of yours that I read, and I, a mission of motherhood, and I remember reading it and I was just a few pages in and I was like weeping. (laughs) I love your heart for moms. And I I especially love just the unique perspective you have because in, you know, online, there's so many blog posts and podcasts and things from women who are in the midst of motherhood. And there's not as much for moms from women who have grown children, who have been through, you know, all mm-hmm. the seasons at home and can speak back into that season. And so I love that you are passionate about doing that and you do it so authentically from, you know, conferences where you have hundreds to thousands of women there down to having people in your home moms in your home that you love on and minister. And so I'm really excited to have you on the show today and to share your heart. You and your daughter, Sarah, have written a new book called The Life-Giving Home, which I am so excited about. Oh, me too. (laughs) So excited about because it speaks to me as a um, non-home decorating kind of mom or woman, whatever. Um, you know, I, I live with a lot of friends and a lot of people in my community and in my church and in my circle of friendship who are amazing mm. at making their home look beautiful. Mm. And that is not in my skill set in particular. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm even to the point where for Christmas decorations, um, my husband tends to pull them out and then put them away. Cause I'm like, well, it's only going to be up for a couple weeks. Why am I going to go through all that work just for a couple <laughs> weeks? And so he's the one who makes it happen and stuff. And so it's just not my bent. Mm-hmm. But what I particularly love about this book is it's not just about making your home look beautiful. And that's even mm-hmm. not at all the essence of it. It's about making your home feel beautiful. And, and I love the tag not, tagline. It says creating a place of belonging and becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to know, kind of like your history as far as homemaking. So did you grow up just wanting to be a mom and wanting to make a home, your home a beautiful place? Or is this something that's kind of grown on you through the years and something God has, has stirred in you? Great question. Nobody's asked me that. Um, I grew up as the youngest uh, of three children, and I was the only girl, and I was kind of a tomboy. And I... I have to tell you that when I was in my uh, later 20s, I thought, I would like to get married. I would love to get married. But I really never thought about having kids. It wasn't that I hated kids or anything, but I just, it wasn't really a part of my brain. Um, I'd never changed the diaper. I'd never babysat. And so I really fell in love with uh, the whole role of motherhood and even cultivating um, my home, uh, it first started when I was a single missionary in communist Eastern Europe, because I remember being there and thinking, oh, I just wish I had somebody whose house I could go over to for a home-cooked meal that they would tell me I'm doing okay in the language and, and to you know encourage me, because this is pretty hard. And so my single roommate and I started uh, inviting different women, you know, we had this underground ministry because it was communist. And so we would invite women from different cities all over Poland into our home and food was scarce. And we would make them a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And 
we really just wanted to love them and invite them to know the love of God. And they would come into our home and say, no one has ever invited me before. No one has ever uh, really encouraged me in this specifically personal way. And so when I finally did get married and all of a sudden I was holding little Sarah in my arms and I was uh, 31, I think, almost 31. And I remembered thinking, oh my goodness, this little baby has implications for eternity, just like all the women I discipled when I was overseas. And I thought, I am going to have to actually talk to God about what I did to show her the love of God by loving her every day in my home and by inspiring her uh, by reading great stories and protecting her little conscience by uh, telling her she had uh, work to do for God's kingdom. You know, all the all the things I had been learning as a young adult, I realized that my home was kind of a, uh, a headquarters, so to speak, or maybe a laboratory for life. And so I think that my understanding and my growing in this concept of home started from my understanding that Jesus was an intentional lover, an intentional encourager, an intentional discipler, and that that when people walked through my door, including my children, that that intentionality, that uh, does that uh, thought in my heart that would say, when they come in, I'm going to look in them in their eyes and say, I wonder what's going on in their heart. I wonder how I can encourage them. I wonder how I can uh, give them a safe place to be. I wonder how I can comfort them. And so I really think that building home and building a place where people become and belong starts with the heart of the person taking charge of that space mm-hmm. and saying, I will be a life giver. I will give life and beauty and goodness and love and just the incarnation of Christ, his touch to the people who come through the doorway in my home. So it started out in missions, uh, grew over the baby years and really expanded as we continue to dream how we could make a place that would hold all that was good and true and beautiful in life for the glory of God. I love it. I feel like you almost entered motherhood backwards in the sense (laughs) of most of us, you know, just kind of walk into motherhood. Oh, we have babies. And then somewhere along the line, we realize, oh, wait, they're going to be (laughs) grownups. And you really entered it with a vision of who they're going to be someday. And you're able to harness that vision from the very beginning. And I love that you called your home kind of the headquarters of that discipling process mm-hmm. of your kids. Um, you know, and, and also what you what you said about how creating beautiful homes starts with us and our hearts towards the people walking into it. And that's so true. Not very long ago, I had a family member come to our home and stay with us. And, you know, a couple of days into it, I realized I really didn't prepare for mm-hmm. them being here. You know, mm-hmm. the house is clean. There was food cooked. But if I had taken the time to think through it, I would have recognized that this person might have had needs. There might have been things that God wanted me to share with this person. And I don't feel like I did that. And, you know, no matter how ready my home could have been, Mm -hmm. that is the one regret that I had. And so I love your heart of looking at visitors, looking at people coming over. I mean, obviously, especially our children, as how can I how can I be Jesus to them? Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so one chapter that I really, really like 
in your book is about kind of shaping family culture. And really, it's a theme throughout the whole entire book. Mm -hmm. So what is the family culture of the Clarksons? Well, I think that uh, as I pondered both history and the Old Testament scripture, I could see that God wanted people, us and our children and all the people that are born, to feel like we were a part of history. Like looking back, we could go, this is who my father was, and this is who my mother is, and this is what we believe. And so when I go into my world, I'm standing on the, the backs of generations of people who loved God. And I get to be a part of the story that the Clarksons are going to tell. And uh, because I think that roots and definition of family and your values and what you love and what messages you have shape uh, a real sense of confidence and security and stability for our children when they go out into the world to think, it's not just me deciding now what am I going to do with my life and how am I going to make money? It's me with the generations of people behind me who have invested and given and written a story with their life. And I get to build my story on top of their story. So, um, and sometimes we are the first generation of people who shape the story. And that's probably more like Clay and me. But so Clay and I began thinking about what do we want our children to value and what do we want in the treasure chests of their lives, so to speak. So uh, we did think of a lot of things, and I can just mention a few, but we believe that God was a God of story, that um, these great stories of David and Goliath and how Esther was used by God as a woman to save her whole nation and how Jesus came to Mary and she said, I am your bond slave. And these great stories that inspire us. And so we wanted our children to uh, have their souls filled with stories, uh, the best stories that were ever written. So we started collecting books and children's books and great tales and hero tales. And so I would say that story is one of the most foundational shapers of our lives. Uh, Clay and I are both musicians and we, um, we, I was in a band uh, before I ever married him and, Oh, wait, I don't think I knew that. I know most people don't. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of the band? Oh, I don't even remember. It was something in college, and uh, I traveled with them for a little bit. But anyway, I've loved music my whole life, and so as he, so we decided that we would at least give our children music lessons and a love for music, and we wanted them to be international. We wanted them to understand there's a whole world out there. So we have made missions, and our background in missions a part of their family culture. And um, I think all of my kids would say strong English tea is <laughs> in our blood <laughs> because we lived in Europe as a family uh, off and on. And um, so I feel like we kind of, we celebrate tea times every afternoon, no matter what, everyone does it. It's kind of a way, whether you have coffee, tea, hot chocolate, cider, whatever, uh, it's a way of stopping in the middle of your day like three o'clock and say, I think I need some civilized moments. And so we all would end up in the kitchen uh, brewing something and then sitting around for a few minutes and just taking a breath and, and then moving on to life after that. So those are some of the, um, the things that we shaped. We, um, now I don't know if you were asking me about family day. Were you asking me about that part of our family culture? Whatever came to mind. Okay. Well, in light of um, the fact that we wanted our kids to feel like they were a part of a story, kind of a mega story that was bigger than themselves, uh, we have this thing that we celebrate in August because that's when our um, wedding anniversary is. 
And no matter, it's kind of worked out so far. I don't think it will forever, but um, we fly our kids in from wherever they are in the world. And of course, as they were little kids growing up, we did this. And we would start out family day. Uh, we would have these homemade cinnamon rolls that I make and wonderful cheesy sour cream eggs. And we would sit around kind of feasting together. And Clay would read the story of Joshua and um, where Joshua had just been used by God as he's taking the Israelites into the promised land. And God had saved them one more time from a flood. And uh, so Joshua said to the men, you need to get some great boulders. So they got these huge, you know, not stones, but like the kind you can sit on boulders. And they placed them right in the place where God had done miracles. And he said, these are memorial stones so that we can remember always the faithfulness of God. And so we uh, would get a piece of paper out and say, uh, after we read that, we would say, what are the memorial stones in our lives last year where we saw the fingerprints, the goodness, the beauty of God? And some years were so hard, we thought we're not going to find any. But every year as we sat down, and especially with kids, it's really fun. You know, they would say this, we got a puppy last year that God gave us especially. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so it could be things that meant a lot to them or uh, it could be uh, an unexpected check or, uh, uh, you know, something that God had done, a praying for a home. And then after moving 17 times, I did this often. And then seeing God provide a home with lots of space for way under the market value. That happened to us again and again. So um, just that we have a record of the Clarkson history to say, look, every year of our lives, through the storms, through the good times, look at what God's fingerprints have been in our lives. And it that made us both more grateful, more aware that he was writing a story through all of our lives. And I think that developing a strong sense of family culture gives uh, our adult children hope in their lives for their futures, that whatever comes their way, God is with them and God will write their story. I think one of the the things that I hear most about that people need is to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. And most families have that. They just don't name it. And I, I love that you name it. You say the Clarksons have a family day and this is the Clarkson history and this is what you're a part of and this is who we are. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy just to kind of wander through life and be whoever we are and just let the days come as they may. Mm -hmm. But your intentional idea of just sitting down and, and, and naming who the Clarksons are, just you know, mm -hmm. verbally saying, we love story, we love music, we love art, and we love tea. And then every year going back and capturing that and remembering it is so powerful. What would you say to the mom whose husband isn't as on board as Clay has been? Well, and I think um, people probably read our books and think that we're more perfect than we are. And, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes uh, he was on board, sometimes not, whatever. But, uh, I mean, we both have our weaknesses and strengths. But uh, I do have this uh, great friend, and um, she had a very, very difficult upbringing. Um, her father left their family, and there are many other things about their uh, history but she said, you know, Sally, I've learned, and she's a little bit older than me, even she's older than 62. <laughs> and she said, I have learned that when one of the parents is on fire and committed and loves God, 
in their home, it's enough to inspire all the children because in spite of the brokenness of my life and my father's life, all of us love my mom, our stories, the heritage that we had. And so I, I think that scripture is full of stories of really diverse people and diverse situations where God uses that person who's filled with the life of Christ. You look at Esther was an orphan. I just uh, already mentioned her today, but you have Rahab who, uh, the harlot that, you know, she also was a weaver. But when, when this pagan woman heard all of these tradesmen coming through Jericho, telling the story of how God had defeated the army and he had defeated Pharaoh, the rest of Jericho built higher walls and chattered in fear of ever meeting the Jews. And Rahab was this woman of faith and she connected her heart to the story. And she said, if, if that's the true God, I want to worship the true God. And she, as a single woman uh, who connected her heart and engaged it to this story of the God of the Israelites, ended up being the person through whom the, the Jewish army was saved in Jericho. And uh, there's so many stories like this where God uses, it says God searches to and fro through the whole earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And that, that your story is the place where you can expect to see God bring life and beauty. And I think that a part of that is uh, not you know, learning how to be gracious within the walls of your home with your husband, but yet when you have that time and that opportunity to provide for your children in a gracious way and even to provide for him within the life that you create, God will take your fish and loaves, the, the small amount that you have to give to him, and he'll make it enough. And um, I have met women all over the world that when they step out in faith and say, I believe God wants my home to be a place for the kingdom to live and serve my children. God does amazing things in that place because uh, if one person is engaged and filled with the spirit of God, then the life of God is powerful in that home. That's encouraging. I know I hear a lot from moms saying, well, my husband isn't ready to do family devotions with us or, you know, as though they're waiting for, him to be, but it's something that they can do with their kids and God can fill in those gaps. And my, my husband says that all the time when we fail as parents, he's like, let's just, you know, trust Jesus, do our best and he can fill in our gaps. And I, I think, think that's that, the same. Go ahead. I, I think that's so true. I, you uh, sparked something in my mind. And I, I think that sometimes, and um, you can kick me off your show after this if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we have voices in our head that really aren't true biblically. And I think that a lot of women have lost a sense of how much power and authority God has given them to live out their personality, their unique story, their skill set, that we are made in the image of God. And we are made with the capacity to think and to create and to uh, to be an introvert or an extrovert, to, you know, to like pink or yellow. or I mean, in other words, people are so addicted to the Internet sometimes, and the ideas that other people have, that they miss out on saying, well, I am not those people. I am this person, and this is what I love, and this is who God has made me. And I will celebrate, and I will enjoy myself and my children and my limitations within the understanding that God loves me and he is willing 
to bless me if I just step out with who I am, what I have, and he will make that a great place. And um, I, I meant to mention one more thing about our family culture that I think gives definition to a family. And that is the whole idea of passing on a kingdom mentality. Uh, from the time my children were birthed, perhaps, they heard, uh, you have been called to be a steward of the kingdom of God. I wonder how you're going to bring his light into the world. And so I think a lot of families have the illusion that doing good things is enough to capture the hearts of their children. But uh, there's so many good things to do in the world, but doing good things can sometimes just make us feel guilty if we don't do enough. And I think what really captures a heart is a vision. Oh my goodness, my life, my story, my personality matters because I am a part of the mega story of God. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings. You know, I, I might just be Frodo or I might be the king or I might be, but I play my part and then God's story in history develops because I have a sense that my life matters. So I think that's another part that I hope women will understand in their home to, to really promote the idea, this kingdom idea that you're a part, you have a place in God's story to tell. And you're a part in your lifetime of bringing his influence into your arena and world right where you are. So good. I know you often say to your kids or, or would say to your kids, especially when they were younger, that, you know, God made you to be a Daniel in your generation. Mm -hmm. And I think of that often as I'm sending my kids off to school or praying for them in the morning and just the vision that that imparts to them. You know, the, the Clarkson family day. Mm -hmm. gives that makes them a part of something bigger than themselves but then giving your kids a kingdom mentality makes them a part of the biggest thing of all and mm -hmm. I, i'm curious to know you know in our heads as moms listening we know that it's important to give that kind of vision to our children as a mom whose kids are out there and influencing the world how have you seen the impact of i don't know that sense of purpose that you've given your kids as opposed to maybe seeing other you know, kids mm -hmm. their age living. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I'm going to call it self-actualization in the sense that if your children leave your home having a sense of who they are, that they have a purpose, that they have meaning, that they have this family behind them who's going to pray for them and talk with them and be with them, if they have a sense of, I have a story to tell, and now that I'm going out into the world, I get to use my muscle, my spiritual muscle, and exercise it. And I, I often said to my kids, I can't, I can't make you a great person. I can't make you make great decisions. I can only present to you all that I know about God and his goodness and his greatness and his love. But you will have to decide how you're going to be a steward of all that you've been given. And I believe your story is going to be a good one. And um, so I think that a part of my children being where they are there's still lots of struggle. They're surrounded by um, immorality, by you know terrible choices and so on. But I think that if people think that raising children is just a matter of moralizing them, telling them to be good, um, then when they go out into the world and they're tempted like everybody else is, that isn't enough to hold them fast to good morals. I think that what holds children is when they go into the world and they have a sense of self. Um, I have owned my faith. I, I have believed in who God has made me to be. I believe that God has a work for me to do. 
And so it's really cultivating that sense of self and um, not controlling your children, but setting them free. I know that's a maybe seems like a cliche, but I feel like a lot of parents try to control the circumstances of their children's lives. Mm-hmm. And they can't. They never will be. They can't now. They can't when they're older. And so what I look back on and realize that God allowed difficulties and challenges and choices in my children's lives that were very hard while they were in my home so that I could not protect them and take them away from those situations, but in those situations could say, what would be wise to do? How can I help you? What are the consequences of these choices? So that by the time they went into the world, they had a real sense of what it meant to make choice, how it meant to live by wisdom, the uh, and so on and so forth. And I do think that um, I want to have a caveat here. Obviously, little children need to be protected and their foundations of what they know about goodness and morality and right and wrong needs to be very strong before we expect them to understand what it means to invest in the world. Uh, does that make sense? In other words, it's a progression right, of... Right maturity from babyhood, learning right and wrong, learning how to uh, obey mom and dad, and then learning how to begin owning it as they are young adults into a very difficult world as we're standing there beside them. Mm -hmm. Oh, that totally makes sense. I mean, just like, you know, teaching a child to ride a bike, they're going to have training wheels on and a helmet, and you're going to be running right beside them and keeping them only in the driveway. But eventually they'll get out into the street and eventually they'll ride off into the sunset without you. And, oh. but, we, but you need to give them the skills and the opportunity to learn to make decisions in those safer environments. But before you send them out into the whole great big world, they need to know how to make those decisions. So that, that totally makes sense. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking about how you used the analogy of home being headquarters. And so it, it made me think about just, you know, the Clarkson family is obviously different from the Lee family. We don't necessarily, well, we actually do drink tea, but I think that's more of a Clarkson influence than <laughs> a natural Lee thing that we do. Um, but a big part of our family is sports. So we have Baylor football season tickets, and we, ever since our kids were little, we would go and sit in bleachers for five hours, come rain, sleet, or snow, and cheer <laughs> on the Baylor Bears. We play golf in our living room and football out front, and it's just part of what we do. And so it kind of gave me the idea that, you know, for the Lee family, home is kind of like our, our locker room. It's the place we come to at halftime, you know, when the kids get home from school and they've been, you know, out there just battling school and kids and life. They come back to the locker room. They come back to our home, which hopefully smells a little bit better than a locker room. But <laughs> it's the place where they're saying, OK, you guys can do it. You can do this. God, you know, you have a great purpose for your life. You can go out there and you can be a rescuer of people and and just that place of hope um, and encouragement. And so I think it's important just for, for all the moms listening to recognize that, you know, there's a, a Clarkson family culture and there's a Lee family culture. And so I just really challenge you to think about what your family culture is. What are the things that you love to do, the things that you want to impart to your children and to your family, what defines your family as a whole, and really incorporate those and, and be intentional about those. Now, as far as our home goes, what would you say are, and I can make a couple guesses, are your, I don't know, say three to five must-have things that make any space you go to feel like home? 
Uh, well, you, you have already experienced this in other places, <laughs> I think. Um, because we never had a family home. In other words, we moved all over the world and um, 17 times, six times internationally. And we, you know, that I travel a lot, sometimes 25 weekends a year. And uh, my kids have lived in, like Sarah lived in a tiny little uh, dorm room in Oxford last year. This year she has a cottage. And so I, I decided that I would... Um, wherever I invite people into my space, whether it's a hotel room or an apartment or whatever, that I would try to make it to kind of build an atmosphere that would look like I'd prepared for them. Uh, you know, God prepared this incredible garden. He's going to prepare a feast for us in eternity and a home for us. And so preparation is just, you have your tools, whatever they are. And uh, many years ago when I was on a book tour in China, I was able to pick up some of these beautiful pashminas. And so, um, okay. I need to know what a pashmina is. Okay. So pashmina is just these woven scarves that, um, you can, you know, you see many places all over the world. And one reason I travel with them is because when I get cold on the airplane, I have something that, that I can put over my shoulders to keep me warm. But anyway, so in my suitcase, I take, um, I always take a candle because somehow a candle just makes any place a special place. So I take a candle, I take a pashmina. Um, oftentimes I'll take uh, teacups or tea mugs. Uh, I will take um, my little music. I have a little tiny speaker that I connect to my phone that always provides me with music wherever I go. And then I almost always travel with dark salted chocolate almonds or just <laughs> almonds. <laughs> and so if somebody comes into my hotel room or if, if I'm like when we were writing the book last year, we were in this little apartment. I got this deal for a whole week for $180 for this apartment in France. You just have to search online for things. And that's where Sarah and Joel and I met to write this book. So I took out my little pashmina scarf. It's just one of those little woven colorful scarves people wear around their neck or whatever. But I wound it around the table. I put my little candle in the middle of it. I put my music on. I had some almonds out for us to chew. And uh, we went to the little bakery and got some tiny little quiches and some um, some apple, uh, this fresh apple cider and some cheese. And you would have thought that we were in the queen's house. We were just at this tiny little table, but we just put these things out and it felt like home because that's what we did at home. So I think sometimes just kind of thinking, what are my tools? What what are little things I can do to make any place that I am become an occasion? And I can attest that in the middle of a crazy conference with lots of people and lots of things happening, that walking into Sally's hotel room is like a little retreat with the, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember the first time I, I went into a hotel room at an event where you were at. And I was like, of course, of course she has teacups and a little decorative, I guess, pashmina is now what I know it to be, and mm -hmm. chocolates. And I think a word that stuck out to me in, as you were sharing all that is just the word atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And it truly is just an atmosphere of, I think my, my perspective on home and decor and, and having people over and hosting honestly, if I'm completely vulnerable, has always been more about me. How can I make them think that my home is beautiful? How can my <laughs> home look clean? How can they walk in and be like, wow, she keeps a clean house or wow, she, I mean, I don't ever really think people walk in and say, wow, she can really decorate. But 
you know, probably do, Kat. Maybe. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think that's always been a little bit more of my perspective. And I think the thing that you've taught me the most is that it's not about people walking in and and, and thinking much of me. It's about people walking in and knowing that I think much of them and Mm -hmm. encouraging them. Um, And I just, that has been such a powerful mindset shift for me, especially a lot of times relieving the stress of people coming over because I'm not so worried anymore. Is my house perfectly clean? Is everything ready for them? But instead, I mean, am I ready to make them feel loved and welcome and known and cared for? And that is what makes uh, a life-giving home. And I can definitely say that I, I've learned that from you. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, I really... Um... I really think that uh, I learned a little bit as a funny story. I was a single missionary in Vienna actually at the time. And this woman with several uh, children, I think she had three or four children that were probably all under eight years old. And she invited me over. I met her at church and she invited me over for a cup of tea. And I walked into her house and, you know, one child was playing with Legos over here and another child was playing something else, you know, and she took her arm on her coffee table and she slid it across the coffee table and, said, here, let's get rid of all these, and pushed all the toys onto the floor. And then she put a cup of coffee down for each of us, and then she looked into my eyes and she said, what a treasure to have this time with you. Let's enjoy each other, shall we? And, um, of course, in that environment, I felt so uh, valued. And I, I was put at ease, and I, it wasn't about her or her decorations. It was about the heart of this very generous woman. And um, so I, I think that all of us uh, probably never feel like we get everything done in our home. Sarah May was here last weekend because she had an appointment here in town, and um, I had my living room was straight, my kitchen was straight, and I said, as she walked through the the storage place between my garage and my living room, I said, well, here's where everything that isn't done is, is resting. And now you know I'm normal. And um, sometimes I think to know that other people are uh, normal is, uh, or that we're normal too, puts them at ease. And so I'm right there with you, Kat. <laughs> oh, I think you're absolutely right. One of my dearest friends, um, her house is being renovated. And even when it's not being renovated, it, you know, it's not her goal in life for her house to look perfect. And whenever we come over, she's always like, well, I figure it always makes other people feel better that nobody's house, you know, that at least my house isn't perfect, even if everybody else's is. And it really, really does. Because we a lot of times we work so hard to make our house look perfect, thinking that everybody else's does, when really, there's probably very few people whose homes look perfect. And it's so much more comforting to walk into a home where, you know, we just feel loved and cared for and wanted than impressed. Yeah. When I've had a lot of insecurity over the years, um, and I come by honestly, actually from my family. Um, but I think when you're just focusing, I enjoy the art of life, so to speak, the older I've gotten, the better I've gotten at it. Um, most of what I have, I've inherited. So I, didn't really get to choose my decor. I had to use what I was given or got at a secondhand store, but I've got a lot of kind of pretty stuff from all these places. But uh, I enjoy the art of life and doing it now that I have a little bit more time. But I really think that if you focus on your things, um, then your grid isn't to really enjoy the people when you're there. And I know for me, having moved so many places, all I've really longed for is somebody who noticed me and loved me and 
and could pray with me and tell me I was going to be okay. And that's what people need to find when they walk into your door, that you're noticing them and that you are a cup of cold water uh, in the name of Christ to them. Mm-hmm. And especially for our children. Yeah. I think um, I, last year I started doing a an after-school snack. I actually have gotten out of the routine this year, so I need to get back into it. But I would do an after-school snack for the children where I would have um, tea. My girls want to drink, want to like tea more than they actually like it. So I typically pour it and then they just enjoy the act of, you know, sipping it a couple times, but never actually finish a cup of tea. But we pour it for them and, and I would have snacks for them. And when they would come home from school, it was just, you know, just kind of this point of rest. Be like, hi, welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. And um, I remember, I guess it was a couple years ago, we were coming to an intensive at your house, and I was flying up with Crystal Hurst. And we had had the worst, probably not the worst flight flight day ever, but it was pretty bad. We had to run through the airport back and forth probably like three or four different times. I had two flights delayed, and I actually had one moment where I ran up to the gate, and the flight attendant was closing the door and waving at me. Oh my goodness, gosh. And I couldn't get on the flight. And so it was just this really, really long day. And we finally got to your house and we walked in and you're in the middle of sharing because we were way later than everyone else. And you got up and you gave us hugs and you said, there's some food waiting for you in the kitchen. And I just remember Crystal and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, Uh, I remember that. I, I thought you were going on another story for a minute. Oh. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. that's just what how I want people to feel when they come to my home and especially how I want my children to feel when they come in my home, especially after a long day at school or a long day of playing outside in the neighborhood to walk in and just breathe that exhale and, and just be like, ah, oh, I'm home. And, and I think that's, that's obviously what your book is so much about, not just the environment of the home, but the culture of the home and, and the way that we love on and share with our kids. And, and I just wanted to share that story to say that you write this book authentically. That's what oh. your home is. And, um, and I think it's a gift to everybody listening just to go and, and get a copy of this book. Because ultimately, you know, with all the home decor books and all the great things on Pinterest, those are all wonderful and will make your home beautiful. And there's lots of really great and nifty ideas, but they don't get to the core of what we really honestly want our home to be. And your book does. You're so sweet. Well, I just want to say one last thing, too. Home is a it's always in process. Um, I, you know, there are many days when I woke up and raised my voice or uh, blew it or thought, what am I doing here? And who are these strange people who have invaded my life? And, um, you know, I had a a few weeks ago, all the kids had been home for about, uh, I don't know, 16 or 17 days in a row, all four of them. And when they come home now as adults, they just want to fall apart and be treated because they've all been working and doing these big things. And uh, I started uh, emptying all the Christmas stuff into boxes and all of a sudden, I blew it. I mean, I kind of burst from the bottom of my toes to the top of my head. And um, they all kind of looked at me like I had gone crazy and mad. And um, the, th- the reason I say that is because we, we're, all, we're all limited. And I think sometimes our bodies and our attitudes say, okay, tell, tell, you've been doing too much. What is, your, what is your attitude telling you? So in order to stay long term in this, we do have to have times of pleasure and refreshment and take time to do something fun and 
just to not be overwhelmed uh, by all the tasks that there are, get someone to help you. Uh, it is a, a long-term process, but I love what you were just affirming in me in that my biggest long-term desire is that my children would feel like this is the best place to be. And that at the end of the day, whether we fuss, whether we are imperfect, they also know that there is this foundation of love that always we will forgive each other, we will love each other, and we can be safe with one another. So uh, just for all of you who, like me, have your bad days, I want you to know that home is a living organism. Um, it's not perfect, but it is, uh, it's an amazing place where the life of Christ can be celebrated. I love it. I love it. Sally, where can people get this book? Oh, and you know, I don't think I mentioned this, but you didn't write this book by yourself. You wrote this with your daughter, Sarah. And I think that's what makes it that much more special because it's not just you sharing what you thought you did, but it's also sharing Sarah sharing what it really was and those how those two um, coincide in the things that she learned along the journey. Um, so where can people get a copy of your book? Uh, they can get it at any bookstore that uh, most most bookstores are carrying now. Most large bookstores from Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, Lifeway, uh, you know, Books a Million, and they can get it on my website at um, wholeheart w h o l e h e a r t dot org or on my blog, which is sallyclarkson dot com. And I just want to mention too that. Joel actually helped me write this companion planner. He said, Mom, people need a place to write uh, their plans and notes and have news stories and be inspired by Scripture. And he's a my Bible student guy, so he helped me write a planner so that um, every year moms could come along and say, okay, what is the season of life this year? How can I kind of regroup this year in January? And so we did um, – it's a kind of a whole family. <laughs> um, everybody kind of invested their stories and their ideas into it. But uh, Joel and Sarah were the ones who wrote it with me. So, And can they – where can they get that? Also at all the bookstores okay. and um, same place. Great, great. Um, well, Sally, I'm so glad that you could join us today and share your heart, share your stories and your life. And I know it was encouraging to well it was encouraging to me and so i can only imagine it was encouraging to everybody else listening as well and i really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to 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 be with us i always love being with you you have a great day you too bye bye well that's all that we have for today's episode of the inspired to action podcast Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know that there are a million things that you could be doing right now, and I hope that this episode has encouraged you. You know, if you have any questions or suggestions for me, just head over to inspiredtoaction.com and click the contact button to send me an email. I would love to hear from you, and I would love to do whatever I can to get the resources that you need to keep growing as a mom. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you would take a minute to rate it on iTunes. That's going to help more moms to find it and get the encouragement that they need. And as always, you can check out all the show notes for this session at inspiredtoaction.com. And you can also download any of our free ebooks or our free prayer calendars for moms at the blog. Just go to inspiredtoaction.com and click on the resources link. And my name is Kat Lee, and I wish you an incredible day with your family. And remember, you're a mom. You're kind of a big deal. Now go be awesome. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet. But I've set a 
aside this time for you I bow before the throne of a noble king And in this place my heart begins to sing It's gonna be a good day A good day filled with His grace His grace and sweet new mercy May my thoughts obey Jesus to walk in 